Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. So, Easter Sunday. On about the 5th of April, probably AD 33, something happened. Sunday the 5th of April. Something happened in a small little part of the world called Palestine, Israel, uh, Jerusalem. They'd killed several people. The Romans had um, executed a few criminals and one of them something happened he, he came alive again the tomb uh, was opened there was an earthquake the Roman guards who were guarding the tomb ran away in fear and that would be amazing enough but it actually turned the whole course of human history the whole of human history is hinged around what happened on that Sunday morning and I want to talk to you about it today. Easter, there's churches and people all over the world remembering what happened that day 2,000 years ago today. What was it? What happened? Because it's actually the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. The most incredible event. More important than the end of World War II, more important than your granny's birthday, more important than the birth of your child. It is the most important event that has ever occurred and we're just going to look at it today. There was a man called Simon Greenleaf, Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who was a, a Harvard Law professor. He helped uh, get, make Harvard Law School great. And he wrote a three-volume legal masterpiece called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence. So he was a lecturer at Harvard. And he made a comment once in one of his legal uh, lectures that the resurrection of Jesus was simply a legend. And three of his students challenged him. They said, well, you're such a, a great lawyer and you know all about uh, evidence and, and legal process. Why don't you apply the laws of legal evidence to the resurrection of Jesus? And he studied it and it changed his whole world. And he wrote a book about it. And one of the quotes that he made says, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. There's another man called Sir Lionel Luku who was a, a, a lawyer. He's actually in the Guinness Book of Records because he had 245 consecutive defense murder trial acquittals. Uh, an incredibly prodigious lawyer. And he wrote, he, he was an atheist as well, and he became a Christian in his 60s. And he wrote this... Uh, Recently, in I think 1990s, maybe early 2000s, he wrote, the, uh, I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world, and I'm still in active practice. I've been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials, and I say unequivocally, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Now, many of us hear that and we say, that doesn't gel. That doesn't sound right. I thought religion was just philosophies and ideas and you can't touch it and, and test it. It's not evidence. It's not legal evidence. You can't, a lawyer can't say it's true. What is it about it that these people are saying is actually true? How could they say that a man rose again from the dead and it's provable in a court of law? How could they possibly say such a ridiculous thing? Well, let me help you by just going, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm just going to, I've read a lot of books by clever people, and I'm just going to go through a few of the things. The people who say that Jesus didn't rise again from the dead 
will either say he wasn't dead, that's called the swoon theory, where they say that he, he didn't really die, despite over 24 hours of torture at the hands of the, the experts in killing people, the Roman centurions, despite that he actually wasn't dead. And then when he got put in the grave, he came awake again and he somehow rolled away the big stone and then he fought off the Roman gods who were securing the tomb and he got out and he, and he just ran away. That's the first theory. Uh, this, nobody says the tomb wasn't, wasn't empty. Everybody ag agrees the tomb was empty. Because if there was a body in the tomb, when the, when the Christians started saying, he's risen again, the Romans would have just gone to the tomb, picked up the body and said, no, he hasn't. Look. So the tomb was empty. But what happened? What, what caused the tomb to be empty? The other theory is that the disciples came and stole the body. These 12 people who were defeated, demoralized, scared, running, witless, hiding in their homes, uh, completely dejected, somehow overcame a Roman guard, uh, a, a group of, of soldiers, rolled away the stone, pulled out the body, and then lived the next 40 or 50 years proclaiming a lie to the point where they were martyred. They were told, you're going to die for what you're saying. And they still said, yes, it's true. He rose again from the dead. Even, even though if, if it was a lie, they, they were dying for nothing. Is that possible? Well, let's look at the evidence. So the first question we need to ask is, was Jesus really dead? Please imagine with me, you're the jury and I'm a brilliant lawyer and we're just looking at the evidence together. So Sunday morning, or, or a weekend, 3rd to the 5th of April, 33 AD, what happened? Was Jesus really dead? There's a few verses in the Bible that we can use. And by the way, the Bible isn't the only source for this. There's at least three non-Christian historians, Tacitus, Josephus, and another guy, who say that there was a man called Jesus and the Romans killed him. So this is not just Bible, but I'm going to read you what the Bible says. Mark 14:65. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. So this is when Jesus, the night that he was arrested in the garden, he gets taken in and um, after a trial all night with the Jews, he then gets given to the Roman authorities. The Romans don't know what to do with him. They send him to Herod, who's another Jewish king. He doesn't know what to do with him. He sends him back to the Romans and they send him to a garrison of soldiers, which was meant at least 400 soldiers. And Jesus was there just kind of left to the soldiers to do whatever they wanted with him. And they started abusing him and hitting him. Luke 22, 64, having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and said to him, prophesy, who's the one who struck you? Uh, Micah 5 verse 1, telling in advance what was going to happen, says they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. So they hit him with sticks as well. We know that. Isaiah 50 verse 6, uh, again, prophetically speaking, hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. It says, I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Mark 15, verse 15. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. This was the Roman whipping, and it was brutal. It wasn't just limited to a few little hits. It was brutal. The, the flagrum had leather thongs, three leather thongs with bits of lead built into them. So when they hit a person, the lead would get into the flesh. And as the, the whip was removed, the flesh was removed as well. It was absolutely brutal. Um, 
Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole garrison around him. They twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a, a reed or a stick in his right hand. Then they bowed the knee and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the stick and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Matthew 27, 35. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. The Bible is amazingly succinct. It just says, then they crucified him. This was a, at least a six-hour ordeal where the person was hung up, nailed uh, wrists and, and feet to the cross. And the main thing was they couldn't breathe, so they had to pull themselves up every breath. And it became excruciating. Eventually, out of exhaustion, they stopped being able to pull themselves up and they drowned in their own, their lungs filled up with, it, with fluids. Um, and this is what happened. It, it was a long process of torture. Um, Isaiah 52 verse 14, again speaking prophetically, says, His visage was marred more than any man, his form more than the sons of man. Another version says he was marred beyond human likeness. He, he wasn't recognizable, just so, so much blood. Uh, John 19 verse 33, uh, it talks about them, it was getting late in the day, so they wanted to make sure that the, the people who were being crucified were dead. So they started breaking the shins of the people who were being crucified so that they couldn't push themselves up to breathe anymore. But verse 33 of John 19 says, when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. That means that the spear went deep enough that it actually pierced the lung and the heart cavity so that even if he wasn't dead, it would have killed him. But the fact that blood and water came out meant that he had already died. His, his heart had already uh, burst, actually. Mark 15, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoning the centurion, that's the Roman soldier who was an expert at killing people. So Pilate calls the, the soldier in and he asked if Jesus had already been dead for some time. When he found out from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. And Joseph then bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a tomb uh, which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. So the question we need to think about is, is it possible that these experts, these killing machines called the Romans, made a mistake, they didn't kill him, if he got a spear in his side and all this kind of thing, is it possible they would have put an undead person in the tomb? The answer is no. He'd had 24 hours without sleep, without drink, without food, and constant beating, thorns, blood loss, whipping, punching, crucifixion. There is absolutely no chance that Jesus was alive and the centurion came to Pilate. Pilate said, is he dead, centurion? And the centurion said, yes, he is dead. So they put him in a tomb. So Jesus was dead. Very dead. Completely dead. No life left in his body. The next question is, was he securely buried? What kind of a tomb was he put in? And we're told that he was put in a, in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. In other words, it wasn't a room with other entrances and exits. It was a cave that had been cut out of rock and then a large stone was put in the front. We also know um, Matthew 27 verse 64 
the, the Jewish leaders were scared that the disciples would try and steal the body. So they went to Pilate and they said, please make sure this tomb is secure. Make sure it is guarded. And so Matthew 27, 64, it says, Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. Pilate said to them, You have a God. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So these were Roman guards who, if they failed to protect the tomb, they would be punished by death themselves. So the tomb was secure, big Roman soldiers with swords, a big stone, and sealed with a Roman seal in front of the, of the, of the tomb. So was the tomb empty? Well, if it wasn't empty, they would have brought out the body. If it was empty, the question is, what on earth happened? What happened? How did the tomb get empty? Could the disciples have come and overpowered the Roman soldiers, rolled away the stone and taken the body, and would they have died for it? The answer is no. I just want to read you a little passage written by Paul several years later in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day, that he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also. There were over 500 eyewitnesses, and people knew who these 500 eyewitnesses were. Paul says, you can go and speak to them. Most of them are still alive. If you want to know whether Jesus came alive again, people saw him. Was it a hallucination? Is it possible that 500 people at one time have the same hallucination? Is it possible that a raggedy, uneducated band of people who were scared out of their wits could have overturned the Roman world and changed the course of history without something have happening? The answer is no. And I just want to read you one last verse, and then I want to conclude by what this means for me. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, He has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is now Peter. The Peter who discovered the body was gone and then met Jesus alive afterwards. He says, He's brought me into a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus. What does that mean? Friends, I want to tell you what it means. Hope is when you're in a terrible situation, you're stuck, maybe you, you're broken down on a, on a deserted road and there's no way for you to fix your car, there's no way to get back, and hope says, in my imagination, maybe the police are coming. Maybe my wife knows that I should be here. Maybe, maybe there's going to be a helicopter going over. Hope is the thing that looks at my circumstances, the real physical world around me, and says, in my imagination, maybe there's something else. And Peter says, Jesus rising again, it's like I've been stuck in a little room called this world and my five senses. And when Jesus rose again, I got a sense that maybe there's more. And friend, I want to say to you today, there's more. I don't know what circumstances you're in. It might be a financial problem. It might be a health problem. It might be a relationship problem. A relationship's broken down. A family problem. It might be that you have tried everything in your own strength and you've come up short and you say, 
is there hope for me? I'm just so dejected. This world, I can't find the answers. And the story about the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that it was organized in such a way that it is legally provable, gives me hope. Because suddenly I say, this world is not all there is. I've done my best. I've tried my hardest. People have tried to help me. I've used my own abilities to try to help me. I've come to the end of myself. But there's more than this physical world has to offer because there was a man called Jesus. He came. He talked about heaven. He healed people, which demonstrated heaven. But then they killed him and he came alive again and he defeated death. And he's still alive today. On that Sunday morning, something happened. The power of this other world, this heavenly spiritual power came into his body. Bang! There was something incredible that happened. And it overcame the physical bonds of death, decay, all the normal things that we know exist. And something supernatural broke into our physical world and showed that there's more. And when I die, there's more. When my family member dies, there's more. When a loved one goes out of this life, I know that's not the end. Because Jesus has proved it. When I'm in trouble, there's more. There's something else. Now we can imagine we're all living in a, in, a, in a hotel. Let's just imagine the world that we live in is a hotel. And we're born into this hotel. And we go about our lives in this hotel. And we start to think that this hotel is all there is. This, the walls of the hotel are the edges of reality. There's nothing outside. And every now and again, someone dies or they leave the hotel and we think, oh, well, they're just gone. There's nothing more. But one day somebody leaves and they come back <laughs> and they say, there's something else. There's a whole other realm out there. There's a whole reality. This isn't all there is. And suddenly my whole perspective on life in this hotel changes. Instead of just thinking, this is all there is, make the most of what I can right here and now because there's nothing else, suddenly I realize there's more. It changes my life. And Peter says in this verse that I just read, I've been born again into a living hope. It's not just a once-off passing hope, oh, maybe the police will come and rescue me. It's a living hope that is in me now. There's a constant reality that there's more than I can see with my physical eyes. And it changes my life. I was a 17-year-old boy who had lived as much as I could live. I tried everything. My family had broken down. I'd rebelled against my mum and my dad. My dad had committed suicide. And I thought I knew what the world was all about. And I'd come to the place where I said, I'm not very happy with this world. There's got to be more. I'd tried all the joys and pleasures of sin and all the things that I could get my hands on. But I said, there's got to be more. And I started searching. I remember going into the library and looking up books on spiritual things and other religions and and God revealed himself to me he broke in and I understood the resurrection is true that there's a man who came from heaven lived on earth died and came back to show that heaven is real and it changed my life I was going one way I've got two older half brothers who their lives have gone a terrible direction they, they're not in a good place and I know I would have followed them if not for God this other reality broke into my world and showed me life is more than this. And it changed me completely. The message of Easter. The message that's changed history, really. The message, the reason that there are billions of people remembering this day today 
is because heaven is real and it broke in in a way that we can actually verify. What happened on that day? Why was the tomb empty? It's because it's real. Heaven is real. Jesus came from heaven, talked about heaven, and proved heaven. And now he says, I'm alive today. And if you ask me into, my, into your life, I will come in and give you this living hope and change your life forever. That's the message of Easter. Let's stand together. And I'd like you to just focus. Imagine the walls of this hotel and you think this is all there is. The walls of your life, the reality that you've known. Maybe you, you thought you knew what life was all about. But there's a nagging question in your mind. Is this all there is? Is this it? Or is there more? And today, the answer from the Bible is there is more. Jesus is alive. He rose again. And He comes to each one of us. Revelation 3 says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens the door and lets me and I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is alive today. And He's saying to you, I want to come and I want to bring heaven into your heart, into your life today. I want to bring that other world, that outside realm, into you right now so that you're not just living in the here and now. I want to give you a living hope. I want to give you something more than you've experienced up until now. You may have been a churchgoer for many years. You may have been a, a person who's attended church. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord many years ago. But you found yourself living within the bounds of the here and now. Just what you can see and touch and, and taste and feel. And God says, lift up your eyes. There's more. Nothing you've come up against is the end. There's a bigger reality. Nothing is possible. If Jesus could overcome death, then nothing in your life is too hard for him to overcome. Maybe something in your life has died or ceased or a person you love has died and you've lost hope. Today is the day where new hope comes in. I encourage you today. Do what I did when I was 17. Ask Jesus into your heart. Say, Lord, I believe you rose again. Come in and make me new. And he'll come and change your life forever. We're going to sing a song or two to close. But I pray that this Easter would be a, a start of a new thing for you today. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.